0: So when I was in grad school, I took a, uh, I took a running class. Mark, <laughs> running class, a running class. Did you know that they offered running classes? <laughs> it was running ten ten, I think is what it was called. <laughs> How to run? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have kind of this lingering credit that I needed to fill, and so I decided to take this course. And uh, I remember uh, showing up for the first day, thinking this would be kind of you know easy. It shouldn't be too bad, and it was uh headed up by this triple iron man member of the track team a woman member of the track team at the Mm. university i attended and man i i knew on day one that we were in trouble uh we we ran everywhere um i think our first day we we did like a couple of miles which is probably more than i'd run combined in my entire life and it just kind (laughs) of went went up from there and uh one day during cl- during class we were out for our usual usual i don't know torturous run and <laughs> i was as usual lagging behind the whole group and she kind of like came back to run by me and lovingly check on me and make sure that i was okay and going to survive i don't know if either one of us thought we would or i would rather and she said you know how are you doing and i said great I, okay i guess <laughs> i was like huffing and puffing and she, uh, she walked me through a couple of different things, a couple of different techniques for breathing and some other stuff. And then she said something that I was in really, really early recovery at the time. I wasn't even sober yet. She said something that just kind of hit me across the face in, in a really spiritual kind of prompting way. She said, you know, it's important because I was guilty. One of the things I was guilty of is I wouldn't drink water during the run because I didn't want to get uh, a side ache. And Mm. so she talked to me about the importance of that, you know, and why that's needed. And she said, if you watch, if you watch any athlete on TV, you know, any high, high trained, highly disciplined athlete, whether it's football players or basketball players or whatever, if you ever get a view of the sidelines before a runner goes on a match, you know, before, you know, for everybody from the main, the main person on the team, all the way down to the third string quarterback, you know, who may not, it's probably a good chance he won't even play that game. She said, you'll notice that everybody is always doing one thing. They're always either sipping Gatorade or water all the time. And I thought about that and that was the case. I had never noticed it, but that was the truth. Everybody on the team is sipping water, whether they're in, in play, not in play, whatever. And, and here's kind of the key. She said, you know, trained athletes, and disciplined athletes understand how the body works and that there's a time delay between when the body is thirsty and when it feels thirsty, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. when we're engaged in heavy physical activity, heavy lifting, heavy exertion, that time delay increases. And she told me, uh, she said, you know, here's kind of the punchline. If if an athlete waits, if you wait to take drinks of water while you're exercising uh, until you're actually thirsty, it's too late yeah You've already lost the battle. You're already yeah. in trouble. that match, that basketball game, that whatever, you are not going to be performing at peak efficiency most most likely for the rest of the game. you'll your body will eventually recover, but you're in too late of a place. And so you have to be ahead of that. And again, or was really early than recovery, right? And it just was a total corollary to me in self-care, right? Mm. I was just learning about things like discipline and recovery and, And really, my mind was just starting to be open to the idea that maybe Steve can't do this on his own. It only took, you know, 20 years to get to that point. (laughs) And so I was kind of open to some new things. And it was just there was just this strong, powerful component to that that spoke to this necessity for the recognition that if I was going to really beat this thing, it's the it's the emotional equivalent. Right. Of of running a marathon like this is not Mm -hmm. easy. Recover a recovery Mm -hmm. lifestyle is not standard it's not a standard level of exertion it's not taking a stroll through the park it's running it's lifting it's grinding and and there's a lot of a lot of intensity to it and just uh, just like with the physical example if i'm going to make prog- if if i was going to make progress in this process the impression was that i needed to start getting regular with this stuff and i needed to quit paying attention to things like well I'm feeling great today, so I don't need to take care of myself, right? Versus I feel like crap, or I just relapse five times, and so I need to need to do a ton of it. And there are lots of lessons to be pulled from that. We'll talk about them as we go through today. But uh, I'm excited. we we've got a topic here of uh, you know looking at self care and one how it can help your recovery. But by the same correlation, if you go about it the wrong way or wrong ways, you can set yourself up really uh, kind of like like me running on mile number three without a sip of water.
1: <laughs> yeah, so true. <laughs> yeah, and I struggle with the same thing over my uh, getting into recovery, uh, just not understanding the critical nature of this self-care. And there are a lot of obstacles. <clears throat> we're going to talk about those today. What, you know, what are the things that get in the way of us taking care of ourselves so yeah. that we can uh, be successful in our recovery, in our healing? And this is the case for those struggling with addiction or spouses listening who are, who are struggling with betrayal trauma. This self-care aspect is, is equally important for both of you, for all of us. Yes. And some of the things that would, you know, if I look back on my own experience and, and clients I've worked with over the years, some of the obstacles that really get in the way of this consistent daily self-care, you know, one of the big ones is apathy, I'd have to say. And I've been especially guilty of this this, you know, getting too comfortable. I often say the three most dangerous words that I hear. And when I hear them, I'm like, oh boy, here it comes. I got this. (laughs) I got this, right? I've been doing what I should do for a while. I'm feeling, I'm having success. I've been sober for a while. Things are going good. And so I don't need to do all of these things anymore. And that's when you see everything comes off the rails and relapses happen and we go back into old, you know, old uh, mindsets and difficulties and fatigue and all of the symptoms start to hit us again because we figure, yeah, I don't I don't need to be consistent because everything's fine.
0: That's yeah, a big absolutely. obstacle. For sure. And, you know, I mean, there, there are lots of things that get in the way for us, right? Tons. As we go through this recovery process, um, sometimes recovery gets Going back to the water example, right? It gets boring. Mm, yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, it, it can, right? I mean, self care recovery—you know—the things that we do for self care in the recovery process, the thing that the things that Mark and I assign to clients, uh, whether we're seeing them in person or you know in D 2 C—is that uh, they're kind of myriad, right? And they're all over the board. But one element to them that is is critical is having enough different ways to go about doing your self care to where you've got a bunch of different options in the box and you can pick and choose a couple that day and rotate them around. Yeah. I've never, I've never found personally a, any one single thing in recovery minus like a 12 step support meeting or like a dare to connect kind of program, something like that. Right. Where it's a support system where I could do it repetitively, like in the long haul and have it really work without mixing it up.
1: Yeah. The brain can tolerate almost anything except boredom, you know, sameness. <laughs> and you're just gonna find that it it, you know, it starts to rebel if you get too much into a rut like that. Yep. And the other thing for me was this all or nothing approach, right? We as addicts have never oh my gosh. all or nothing thinking, you know, yep. black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. But it's this, I have to do it all the way, right? My so just share with everybody Mark's big statement over the decades. Mark, go big or go home. <laughs> right this so what did i do <laughs> you know slam my fist on the table after a relapse and became, that's the last time i'm gonna do that and this time i'm really gonna go for it i'm gonna get up at 4 30 a.m i'm gonna have a three hour self-care routine every morning yeah i'm gonna do it this time yeah <laughs> of course My going big lasted how long did, maybe if Two days,
0: three yeah, days. Yeah, I was gonna say, not that I I am first of all, I'm so grateful I haven't dealt with any of these issues you're describing. I just it's sad that you're struggling so much. But <laughs>
1: I know, right?
0: But in theory, if I
1: were to have, it would probably be a couple of days. Yeah, right. And so it lasts a couple of <laughs> days with the big old, you know, the big bold declaration. And and the challenge is you can't sustain that. No. I mean, come on. I mean, the enthusiasm is admirable. It's good that we have desires to really, you know, get serious about our recovery and our self-care, but it has to be sustainable. Yes. Otherwise, it's like the flashy racehorse that bursts out of the gate, all impressive, and races full speed around the track. And about one and a half times around, what do you find? A dead horse. Yep. And then unimpressively, here comes the the plodding workhorse that just sort of trots by one Steady step at a time and kind of glances at the dead racehorse that was so impressive and Mm -hmm. he's on down the track.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's uh going back to kind of that running world, you know, where we started, it's this really is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, but we addicts we just love to sprint. We do these little spurts, you know, and and then we inevitably, yeah, burn out or we aren't taking care of ourselves. And so we, we end up in that in that vulnerable place. And you know, for me as a runner, if I go back to my example. Not drinking for two hours during a run meant I felt like crap for two days and ended up drinking like gallons, right? Yep. What's the emotional equivalent in, that, in, in recovery? Best case, I'm going to experience a lot of those old symptoms, right? I'm going to be more emotionally reactive. I'm going to be more impatient, less able to empathize, more prone to objectification. Worst case scenario, it, it leads to a full-on relapse, Right. Yeah. And I end up, re- I end up losing sobriety because of that. And so, yeah. you know, watching out for these obstacles, it, it really is huge. And, and, you know, kind of along those lines is, it, it is something you mentioned before the podcast, which I appreciated is, is this whole element of shame and hopelessness for addicts. You know, it's uh, it's easy, I think, when you've been caught in this mess for as long as many of us have. Right. Even though we get told by people and maybe intellectually we recognize that, oh, of course I can change anything's possible emotionally. I know, I know that I could have quoted that all day. I was not buying it for mm. me. Right. I just didn't see a world in which that was ever going to happen. Like, because I had 20 years of evidence telling me that that's crap and, and that, and that that won't work. Right.
1: So you you're not going to change that it isn't going to be sustained. You might change for a moment, but you'll never be able to sustain it. Like, really be done, yeah, really be done. and the, and the trouble with that is when that when that weighs on us that hopelessness and shame, then the you know the ego brain, the attic brain will say, "Well, then why are you bothering with all this self-care and all going through the, all these motions at all? It's yeah. not going to make a difference. You're never going to be different, really, yeah, and that can derail our, our self-care routine uh, being consistent as well. You the other thing I noticed is, and this is a fine line we walk. So we talk about, you know, this go big or go home, do it all or nothing. You have to be sustainable and, you know, take little steps on a daily basis. I would move into the place where I'd say, okay, I need to lighten up on myself and not be so serious about this, not be so all gung-ho that I can't sustain. And then if I wasn't careful, my brain would go to the other side that would say, well, this is all optional right? I need to lighten up on myself. Don't be so strict. Don't think you have to do this every day. And then I'd be like, well, okay, every other day. And then it would be every three days and then once a week. And so we get into this, if we go too far, it it turns from something that is non-negotiable, right? I must engage in self-care each day to, oh yeah, it's optional. So we can go from totally crazy, strict, and four hours of self-care and beating ourselves up to, oh, I'll do it every once in a while. Yeah. And we have to find a balance there. And that comes to our next point that you and I talked about is, rather than looking at self-care as one big block of effort and time that we have to carve out this huge section of our day, Mm -hmm. I find much more success for me and, and, and pretty much all the clients I work with How do you make it sustainable by integrating your self-care into your daily life? Yeah. I like to say, what are you already doing? Right? Takes up your time already. And you can integrate some of these things into that existing schedule and effort to get your self-care in.
0: You know, for all of you listening out there, Mark and I get it. We know recovery is tough stuff.
1: No kidding, man. We'd have given anything during those dark addiction years to have two seasoned professionals like us, you know, to bounce stuff off of, to get advice, to get mentoring.
0: I know, right? That's why we've created the perfect program to guide addicts and spouses on their path to healing. For those listening today, there's no need for you to reinvent the wheel.
1: You don't have to make the same mistakes we did. Don't go it alone. We're in this together. To get started, visit daretoconnectnow.com. So, for example, yes. I often ask clients, do you, do you commute to work? Yeah, I do. How long is that? Oh, half hour. That is prime spiritual self care time. Yep. You're in the car, you're by yourself, it's private, it's quiet. Guess what? prime self-care time and you're already doing it yeah that's an example of integrating into your existing life so that it's not overwhelming and doesn't require these giant blocks of extra time
0: yeah yeah absolutely i I love what you're saying and yeah recovery sustainability is needed we'll talk more about that in a minute i uh you know brought it brought up kind of a a second component we were talking earlier about the shame and hopelessness right I think a lot of that for, for a lot of guys uh, that, that we work with, I've shared examples of this in my own recovery before, but it's this resistance to being quote unquote, I guess, not normal.
1: Mm. You know, we
0: all have a desire to be normal. And I know that many of us addicts, probably most of us, uh, really kind of feel like fish out of water in a sense. We feel like too often we're carrying a burden and dealing with issues and having to put in from a self-care pers- perspective right having to put in effort in areas where your average joe schmo can't uh, doesn't they don't need to do that yeah right? it's, it's not, this it's feeling it's of unnecessary when
1: can i be done with all this and, and go back to living a normal life yeah yeah like where's the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. am i gonna have to do this self-care like the rest of my life really mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and you know when you get them to step back, and I'd ask them, I say, "So tell me why you wouldn't want to engage in these healthy living and successful strategies?" Yeah. Like, oh yeah, it's not just related to addiction or recovery. This is how healthy, joyful, peaceful, balanced you know people live.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's important to note too that you know spouses of addicts, right? Oh yeah. Self care of a uh, the self care of a spouse is just as important. As that of an addict, I know that in our culture we we discuss this often. How, unfortunately, culturally we kind of have this mantra of like the addict needs the help, you know, yes. get him the therapy, get him the whatever, get mm. him the this, get him the that, and those are all important. But we have casualties of the war, right? Most significantly, spouses uh, who are battling and dealing with a lot of the same tr- a lot of the same issues on the uh, on the receiving end in a place where they never even asked for it. Right. And I think for a spouse in a position like that, they're also prone to a lot of these same obstacles, right? Apathy. Right. It is, it's easy to get comfortable, whether you're an addict or a spouse in the recovery process, you get a couple of, you get a couple of months under your belt, like, Oh, he hasn't relapsed in you know three months or whatever. I haven't, I, I haven't gone into severe trauma for, for a few weeks or a month or two or whatever. And, and, and without even realizing it right in subtle ways, we start to place less of an emphasis on keeping our tank full and start moving back into that perception of, again, just normal living, which just like with an addict where that sets us up for anything up, including a relapse for a spouse. What that sets them up for is everything up through and including those deep, dark, heavy, unmanageable emotional responses that we all that that spouses all tend to have towards the beginning of this because there's a there's a lack of understanding or an ability to hold boundaries right there's a lot of skill sets missing when self-care goes down so do a lot of those skill sets and those men, ways of mental thinking and and they're and they're going to be vulnerable to that just just like an
1: addict would and it's really important as we talk about this i i know i saw my wife go through this And when we finally got, when I was finally in a place to receive her truth and her authenticity without becoming defensive and shutting her down, Mm -hmm. she started to express to me, she's like, you know, when you were in your addiction, just barely getting into recovery, it was all about you, all the emphasis, all the focus, getting you your help. She said, it seemed like my whole world revolved around you being sober or not being sober. Yeah, and a lot of times, and we you and I have a, a real sensitivity to this. We see a lot of women kind of get left behind, totally, uh, almost an afterthought in the background because there's so much focus on the addict. And and I understand. And I work with with a lot of women. I work with. They start to feel some very legitimate feelings of, well, why should I have to pay attention to all of these self care issues for myself? Yeah, he caused this. He did this. He needs to go fix himself, and then maybe we can talk. Yeah, and it's important for us to to address that with with the spouses who are listening. Your self care is about you, your well being, mm-hmm. your health, your you know your emotional, physical, and spiritual health. You deserve to have self care and take care of you, just for the fact that it's you, irrespective yeah. of his addiction. We want you to take care of you. And that's your self-care routine is so critical to that, yeah. independent of whether he's making progress or not, right? And that's the other thing you and I see, Steve, is this um, this situation where a spouse can, can, her motivation with regard to taking care of herself can become too closely attached to whether her addict spouse is making progress or not.
0: Absolutely. Well, and, and it happens on the flip side, too. Right. I, I hear this equally from the addicts that I work with. Well, she didn't do. She didn't start do initiate check-ins on her days this week that she was. Yes. To, right. So I kind of blew it off because of that. Mm-hmm. And I will come down on a guy like that with a ton of bricks. It doesn't what kind of backing up what you're saying. Right. We are effective. If you want your marriage to really get better, which is, I think, what most of our most of our listeners are wanting. If you really want to make progress in this, it always comes back to what you are doing. Um, You cannot afford for your own sanity, but also for your relationship to let anyone, including your partner, determine what you are going to do for you. Um, Because we all recover in different ways and in different timelines. And there's there's nothing more tragic than a wife, for example, doing all this work. And like you said before, putting herself, despite all the pain, into a place of being able to hear hard things from her husband. Right to work through disclosures with him, to do all the things. She's done all of her work to get in a place to do that and is doing it. And the guy is still reactive in denial, lying, being deceptive, you know, all of those things that we addicts tend to do. That's a tragedy, hmm. right? You don't want to be, I, and I wish I could say this was a theoretical, but that's how it was for me in, re- in recovery too many times. Yeah, right. My wife would be pulling ahead in the recovery process. I wasn't doing the work. And I was the one holding us back.
1: And the thing about that is, is we we have a lot of, uh, you know, empathy for spouses about that, because it it can become really fatiguing and exhausting for women, especially. I've got taking care of a household. Maybe you're raising kids. You've got a job and a, or a career profession. You're dealing with your husband's addiction. Now you're supposed to be looking at your betrayal trauma and taking care of your self-care. Pretty soon, it's it's just too much. You're just yes. fatigued and overwhelmed. And you're like, wow, now I'm supposed to do this, my own well-being and healing and self-care? So yeah. a big part of self-care for, for the women that are listening, are, are you getting into tune with these practical boundaries in your life. What is too much? Where do you need to draw the line? How do you yeah. have boundaries with regard to emotional issues? And right, you're human, you you only have so much that you can do. Yes. And that's where this really, this, this eye to your own self-care and where you're at, mm-hmm. assessing that on a regular basis and setting boundaries and pulling back as needed in order to take care of yourself, which is the first priority,
0: yes, absolutely. You can't put anything else first, as we often say. Without uh, the best way to put other people first and other things in your life first is to put yourself first. That's right. how we. That's how we do it. Right. And and, uh, and and there are lots of reasons again why we get pulled into that because those those other areas of life, be it for an addict or for a spouse, they're valid and they're real, right? They are. Kids, kids need nurturing and time. <laughs> there are other responsibilities that we all carry but the reality is is that recovery for most of us who are busy in in our lives does require some triaging and mm-hmm. at least temporarily you may have to set some other things aside right even if they're good things yes. um and 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 there's a whole myriad of that right anything from like volunteering in a church to to anything all of those things need to be evaluated in the context of Okay, these things are great, but are they getting in the way of my individual progress?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. Because if I if I if it undermines my individual progress, then I can't I can no longer give myself to the X, Y, or Z. And I and I think that the last thing that we probably need to talk about here is this that that we see commonly is this is this lack of support system, right? Mm. For addicts and for spouses. It's it's far too common. And I and I and I being candid, I think that too many times it's of it's a prison of our own choosing. Mark and I you know we we both know better than very better than most people <laughs> hmm. the obstacles to wanting to open up about your issues and get find people to be vulnerable with find people to share with find people to ask questions and to get answers and to do all of those different things and a, and a healthy support system outside of the recovery world or outside of your own personal recovery i i I don't know that I've ever seen anybody really break free of this and break free of all of the issues and really make a a full turnaround and a full
1: healing experience
0: ha- w- w- with it just happening in the vacuum.
1: Right, right. And that, you know, as we talk about solutions to this, you know, so how do we how do we move through and beyond these obstacles to our own self-care? You know, as you and I talked about that, Steve, one of the biggest things we say a lot is... Mindfulness, if you if you have mindfulness, you're more than halfway there. Mm-hmm. And if you can start to get in tune with how you're feeling today, where am I in my connection with myself, with with God or the spiritual, with others? what does that feel like? Can I sense if I have needs? if I'm starting to get behind the curve on all of this? Yeah, so this being in tune and mindful and the craziness of life, and we know it's hard. But start to get, for example, with the spiritual, get into active communication. Raw, real, open conversations with God, whatever that is for you. You know, open up those lines of communication. Uh, Connection with yourself. Are you involved in raw and real journaling on a daily basis? Getting those feelings out, processing them, taking a look at it. And then with others, you know, Steve and I are big, big on the best way to start to uh, be mindful with others is this this authentic connection Yeah, Love and real and transparent and expressing my feelings, my thoughts, my needs, and just laying it on the table. Yeah. And we don't know two better ways to do that. You know, aside from what you do as a couple um, 12 step is an awesome outlet and all of its various forms and supports. And the other way, you know, we're going to say is uh, our dare to connect program that we're getting ready to launch is going to be yeah awesome way to have connection with others with us and others that are participating
0: yeah you know we're kicking that but we are kicking that thing off uh, registration goes live uh, on friday saturday right? uh, saturday sorry saturday may, may 1st 2021 yeah. and uh, first group goes live on the third and it is one of the thousand reasons why we're so excited for it because sincerely to everyone listening please don't make the mistake that too many of us have made myself included I, I say often on this podcast all the time, I, I spent so much money, you know, 20 grand to the tune of nearly 20 grand on therapy. It could have easily been half that. And one of the biggest barriers is my at, was my adamant refusal to engage in anything support system-wise.
1: Mm,
0: I yes. don't want anyone to know. It's like, okay, fine. I'll tell a therapist. And like, that's it. Like, that's it, you know, adamantly. And, and therapy was hugely helpful. And it took us to so many good places in recovery. But what was a, what took us to the next level is when my wife and I were both willing to really get open and vulnerable in a 12-step group in a support system. And Dare to Connect will offer an option for you that's kind of pre-packaged, if you will. You'll be act- having access to us and our support one-on-one, be able to ask questions uh, you know, virtually via chat if you tune in live. You'll be able to interact on an, in an anonymous way with people all over the world who are engaged in the same battle for their marriage for their for their sanity for their serenity that you are and it's an awesome opportunity to to be able to bring all that in and so uh, whatever whatever way in which you can build that support system those being two primary ones please please do that find safe people who you can be around pursue that daily conscious contact with god yourself and with others
1: yeah love it so, yeah, we we'll look forward to seeing you next week. And, again, uh, go in and get more information about Dare to Connect at daretoconnectnow.com. And we're just really super excited to see uh, as many of you as possible in that new program. Awesome. Catch you guys soon. Everything expressed on the PBSE
0: podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.